the media goes full, well, media, as the conspiracist smear campaign continues. The new New Zealand PM decides to fix inflation with more inflation. Because you got to fling money at the people whose lives you destroyed over the last few years in an election year, don't you? And Aussies, they lost a war against flightless birds. But look, it's not as sensationalist as some of the headlines would have you believe. And for once, I'd actually like to stand up for my Aussie brethren. So I'm going to talk about those things today. But first, as always, welcome to another episode of the Arriving Somewhere with Matt J podcast. Commentary, comedy and conversation. Remember to like, share, subscribe, rate and all of that good stuff. Okay, let's get into it. Let's talk. Well, let's talk first about the media and their consistent smear campaign against conspiracy theorists, anti-jabbers and the like. So from Stuff, from Martin Van Bynen, and this is titled Christopher Luxon Hijacked by Anti-Vaxxers Conspiracists at Pact Public Meeting. Now if you don't know who Christopher Luxon is, that is the main opposition party leader in New Zealand, so the opposite of Labour and Ardern, formerly Ardern, is National and Chris Luxon. I know with a party name like National you'd think they would be a bit more based than they are, but they're not. They're not, they're just what most people call them as labour light. So what happened here is Chris Luxon went to a public meeting for National in North Canterbury, Rangiora, which is just north of Christchurch, and he got, got given a bit of grief. So of course they paint a picture leading into this article as the opposition leader steps from his car into the baking heat of Rangiora. He's probably been warned he could be in for a roasting. So when he enters the Rangiora Town Hall, which doubles as a theatre and cinema, hopes of a rousing welcome, an adoring audience and plenty of warm fuzzies might have already faded. It is a Tuesday and only 249 days to the election. <laughs> you gotta love the media drama. So anyway, there's about 400 people in this hall and this is how Stuff and Mr Martin, the journalist who wrote this article, describes... North Canterbury. North Canterbury has more than its fair share of the lunatic, fringe, die-hard anti-vaxxers, incorrigible conspiracy theorists and wacky obsessives. It houses Dr Joni Gerard, who handed out fake medical certificates to support vaccine exemptions, and sign writer who forged vaccine passes. It's home to Derek Tate, the Harley-riding Destiny Church pastor who has led anti-mandate marches. The first sign of potential trouble was the, was the arrival of far-right conspiracy theorists Calvin Alp and his pregnant partner. A late turn-up is tiny homes builder Colin Whiteman, who believes the government is carrying out a United Nations agenda of communism and depopulation. Well, this Colin guy sounds alright. But see, isn't this hilarious? They've, they've given you some characters. They're, they're framing the episode. Here's some characters, the, the, dra- the possible drama at the start. Painted a picture. Characters they've shown up that could cause some problems. It's almost like Cluedo or something. It was Martin in the basement with a toaster. So the current MP of the area, Matt Ducey, he warms up the crowd and he he relays the news that Luxon will be able to stay a little bit longer because his next meeting has been cancelled. So that's good news. The people listened politely to a persuasive 15-minute spiel from Luxon where where he goes through the messages he will continue to hammer. National will be tough on crime. Great. Fix health and education. Well, you're not going to fix anything, but sure. Spend money on services rather than bureaucrats. 
Okay. Get the economy growing and rein in the cost of living. He gets his first round of applause and a hear, hear when he says, the country is totally, utterly, completely going in the wrong direction at the moment. We are fundamentally not getting things done. Now, I just want to point out to everybody listening that National didn't stick up for any of our rights during the last three years. In fact, you could pretty confidently speculate that they would have locked us all down, forced mandates, all of the same sorts of things that Ardern had done over the last few years. Maybe not as cruelly, maybe not as intensely. Labour light, as I said. But they never once stuck up for our rights, that I heard anyway, over that last three years. So I think that's important to know as we lead into... The next part of this article, because it says here, but that is the last audible affirmation for a while. He tries hard enough. He mentions crazy ideological pet projects, stealing assets from locals, giving back more of your money and one country, one system without much love coming back. The first question he got was from a local businessman about three waters. He gave a six minute answer. Then the meeting comes alive with clapping and cheering after a retired midwife asks, when are you going to drop the mandate on health employees? Luxon says he doesn't see the need for the mandates. And he rides the wave with more talk about the health system. He says, this is not the time to create a mega bureaucracy sitting in Wellington, not the time to be creating a separate multi-health authority, and we are going to scrap it. More clapping. Next question. She is a fifth generation New Zealander, a nurse, and married to a sheep and beef farmer. They got you there, didn't I? You thought she was married to a sheep, but let's see how I just delayed the rest of that sentence to make you think she was possibly married to... A sheep, mind you, a lot of people probably think New Zealanders are a little bit overly friendly with sheep because of the amount of sheep that we do have. Um, I'm just going to move on from this. She said, are you aware of this FDA document that lists 1,200 adverse events of these injections, she asks. I haven't read the report Luxon says to jeers and cries of, you should have read it. You should know that. Love the writing. Um, New Zealanders need to know, says the fifth generation New Zealander. Why do they have to put in fifth generation New Zealander? Well, I know she probably mentioned it, but why can't they just say New Zealanders need to know, she said. A lot of these articles really do feel like the journalists are using AI. Anyway, she said New Zealanders need to know, to the noisiest applause of the afternoon so far. Someone chides Luxon for not answering the nurse's question. I thought the question was, have I read it? No, I haven't. I'm happy to read it, Luxon says testily. It was all a fraud, says a furious retiree with a big stomach and glasses sitting in the back rows. <laughs> It's starting to become like that card game, guess who? And then a woman in the audience claims her mother had two strokes caused by the jabs that were forced on her by the hospital. And she said, I believe in alternative health and this therapeutic bill that is going through at the moment is just heinous. Loud applause. Mentally, what are you going to do for this country? More applause. Luxon starts wrapping up the meeting. Cries of outrage come from the audience. We have more questions. You said you were going to extend the questions. We have a country that's falling apart. So much for transparency. Booze and slow clapping follow. So there you go. You crazy North Cantabrians and your anti-vaxxer conspiracy nonsense. Uh, the media will will use it to kind of talk down about Luxon, but kind of not. It's more of a Look at all the crazies living in North Canterbury article. So anyway, that happened yesterday. Also, what happened yesterday, the new New Zealand Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins, hippity hippity Hipkins, he, <laughs> that's 
probably going to be how I introduce him every time now. He has declared that the government, Labour, have been trying to do too much too fast. And I agree with all of that, and they should just stop doing anything. In fact, take back a lot of stuff. That would be great. And just protect our God-given rights. That would be, be fantastic. But no, that's not exactly what's happening. There has been some positive updates, though. The mega merger, the media merger between Radio New Zealand and TVNZ, scrapped. Fantastic. Great. Hate speech. Withdrawn and delayed. Not entirely sure what that means. It seems to me like we'll go at it again, but we'll just just hold back. People seem to be a little bit angry about it. They want to change some of the Three Waters reforms and unbelievably, they're increasing minimum wage. To fix inflation, they're going to cause some more inflation. So I'll just talk about a couple of these. The hate speech legislation has been withdrawn. The watered down hate speech reforms managed to upset many when it excluded disabled people rainbow communities and women. I don't think that's why we had an initial problem with it stuff. I I don't think that's the case. I think it was because it was an attack on free speech. Anyway, they say here, after pressure from groups who said the original proposals were a threat to free speech, there you go. What was left of the reforms promised in the wake of the Christchurch terror attack uh, would be withdrawn and referred to the Law Commission, quote, to consider a difficult and highly contested area of law in totality. So it's still something we're going to have to keep an eye on. It seems to be just disappearing a little bit into the shadows. Go back to the shadow. That's still good news, but definitely don't take your eye off the hate speech ball. And actually, oh, they've also said here the biofuel. So this is, a, again, another article from Stuff, the policies delayed in government refocus article. Uh, I've just seen here that they're also stopping the biofuel mandate. Cabinet also agreed that the biofuels mandate will not proceed, Hipkins said. The mandate would have increased the price of fuel, and given the pressure on households, that's not something I'm prepared to do. Megan Woods, the energy minister, said, this is not putting climate change on the back burner. Oh, no. No, no, no. (laughs) Ah, your climate change is a crock. So this is actually great news. It says the addition of biofuels was estimated to prevent 1 million tonnes of emissions over the first two years, going up to 9 million tonnes by 2035. No, that's great. Look, Marston Point being shut down, huge, huge problem. If they get that reopened, that would be a great thing for this country. I doubt that's going to happen. Now, I think these things are being done, like you said, because they're trying to do too much too fast. Sure, but it's it's kind of an admission of how much they have roughed up the country, to put it lightly. So I think we can celebrate some of these these things here. They're, they are wins for us, freedom-loving folk. The one I have a big problem with is the minimum wage is set to rise again. And Hipkins says, When I became leader, I promised that the government would do more to help families with the cost of living. With this in mind, Cabinet today also set a new minimum wage in line with the Consumer Price Index, the CPI. Cabinet has agreed to lift the minimum wage by $1.50 to $22.70 per hour. And it will apply from the 1st of April 2023. April Fool's Day. Wow, maybe it's a joke. Maybe they're not going to do it. That would be a hell of a joke on those (laughs) those looking forward to the minimum wage increase. They say in tough times, it's critical to support those who struggle the most to make ends meet. We've tried to find the right balance, they said. 
and that it's unlikely to have a significant impact on unemployment. Look, I've, I've talked about minimum wage a lot on this show and this is just absolute garbage, particularly from a government where there was discussions in Parliament, I think it was about six months ago when they were saying, where one of the opposition parties was saying a tax cut to consumers, a tax cut, income tax cut, whatever it was. Why isn't that on the cards? And of course the pushback to that was because it will cause more more inflation. There'll be more money in the system chasing the same amount of goods. And now they do this? Now they raise the minimum wage? It's also a real kick in the teeth to the teachers and nurses that were out protesting for a, a pay rise last year. And now you've got the the unskilled labour, because that's really what minimum wage is. It's usually the unskilled, as we know. That's not a slight either. We'll be getting an extra increase and this just increases the cost of everything. It's ultimately passed on to the consumer. And then around in circles we go. We need to increase it again. And then the prices go up and we need to increase it again and again. And of course we're in this environment because of the government's response to the pandemic. It wasn't the disease that caused this. It was the government. Just going back to the tax cuts for a second. If, if they actually cared about you, about us, that's where they would start. Tax cuts, income tax cuts. That would give you more money too. But this is an election year bribe. And ultimately, it's going to cost small to medium businesses more. It's going to put a lot more pressure on them. And the government's going to be also collecting more tax because you're earning more. The figure is higher, so they'll be collecting more on that. And they'll be collecting more on GST. The other thing with all of this is that you're not incentivizing people to actually upskill. I mean, the minimum wage is going to be $22.70 an hour. I wonder what the, the starting rate for teachers and everything is now. I mean, for somebody that's on, say, $24 an hour now, somewhere, $25 an hour now, do you think that they're going to get a pay rise? Not necessarily, that's up to the business. But the lowest, the minimum wage, creeps up, creeps closer and closer to the skilled workers. It's just not how you incentivize production and the upskilling of your society. So I think this is just a bad move on their part and is a purely an election year bribe to the masses but look some good stuff here i'm i'm happy that they're stopping a lot of what they've been doing fantastic and that's all because of you people all the pressure that you put on over the last three years and i think we can congratulate the freedom movement the so-called anti-jabbers the conspiracy theorists it's all the pressure that you put on over the years it's come back to bite them because the general public has started to see what's going on and in my mind that's why our doing left again she might have been given the a little tap on the shoulder to move on but the the pressure that was put on by the freedom movement played a part. So well done to all you fine people out there. And I will just bookend this little segment with a warning about just because they're doing this now and putting things on the back burner doesn't mean they're not going to go at them again if they get re-elected. This is a government that has been given full power from the last election. So don't forget what they've done, but celebrate this little victory that we've had. Anyway, speaking of victories or losses australia couldn't even defeat a bunch of flightless birds they had a war in the 1930s and they lost and you may have heard of this it's the great emu war of 1932 and and while i would love for this sensationalist style type of headline to be true if you dig a little deeper into it it's not as silly as it originally sounds and of course being a new zealander our nickname being kiwis that's based on the Kiwi bird, which is also flightless. It would have been fantastic if Australia lost to a bunch of flightless birds in a war 
in their own country, but it's not exactly the case. So we'll just spoil a little bit of the fun that the story has had over the years. Now, I went to a, what's well, a military site, basically. It's a, a site run by the military community, and they're also a, well, I'll tell you who they are. I'll just use the About Us page. We are the Mighty dot com is a veteran-led digital publisher and Emmy Award-winning media agency servicing brands with video production, marketing, and advertising. And they're run by people from the military community as well. And they seem to have also a publication news type thing going as well. So I watched a few videos, read a few articles from other places. I thought this was the best source for kind of debunking a bit of the silliness as as much as it brought me a lot of joy to read about and watch, it's, uh, it's best to be accurate with the actual info. So, why the emu war wasn't as silly as folks make it out to be. So they say, it's always brought up as a fun fact that at one point in history, Australia sent troops on an all-out assault against emus that were destroying the Western Australian outback. A while later, it was decided that the humans wouldn't win. And the history books marked a big owl for the Aussies in the Great Emu War of 1932. When it's put like that, it's funny and makes a great fun fact that can be brought up whenever Australia's military might is in question. But the thing is, Australia's military kicks ass. They're quite pro-Aussie military, as you can tell. And saying Australia lost a war against a bunch of flightless birds, while sort of true, doesn't really do what actually happened justice. The Australian government didn't just decide to go on a mass emu-killing spree out of the blue... It was in response to the destruction of farms caused by emus in their search for food and water. After World War I, Australia rewarded its returning veterans with farmland to call their own. The only stipulation was that this farmland was basically barren outback that was plagued with native animals. I think the word plagued is a little bit, a little bit harsh for the native animals. The terrible soil didn't leave farmers with many options in terms of crops, but wheat grew fairly well given the conditions. Unfortunately, wheat also attracted the emus. Of the nearly 5,000 veterans who participated in the program, very few were able to grow crops without having them been, without having them destroyed by hungry birds. Even fewer could afford to build fences to keep the emus at bay. The government, not willing to address the problem of terrible land quality, decided that the emu was entirely at fault for crops not growing. It was declared by Western Australian Senator Sir George Pearce that veterans and troops should tackle the problem head-on and hunt the birds. Now they say here the biggest misconception about the emu war was that it was a massive military assault by the by the Aussies, but it wasn't. It was it was literally just three men, a pickup truck, and two machine guns and ten thousand rounds. There were veteran farmers who also took up arms, but only Major G P W Meredith and his two gunners were officially at war. So representing the Australian military and being sent there from the Australian military you can still say it was the Australian military, unfortunately, for Australia. So that's three men versus 20,000 massive birds. Now you start to see where the problem was. Emus aren't just large turkeys. They stand at an average height of 6 feet 4 inches, can run up to 31 miles per hour, have the strongest legs of any animal, and can easily shred apart metal fences with their talons. As the three Aussie hunters found out, emus can take roughly five bullets before realising they've been shot and 10 rounds before they finally die. These birds sound like Terminator birds. Hey, emus aren't real. That's the real thing. Pandas. Pfft, pandas. Emus are the ones that are probably not real. 
well, it fits in with the whole birds aren't real thing, I guess. Yeah, it's been done. Emus, they naturally flock in hordes of hundreds, which means that any time the hunters unloaded into the horde, the birds would quickly disperse into smaller mobs that scattered in different directions. And they say here, in that respect, the hunters were actually technically quite efficient. They managed to gun down a confirmed 986 emus over the span of a few weeks of the 9,900 rounds they used. They averaged out about one kill per 10 or so rounds, which is the estimated number required to kill an emu. Now, the three men faced constant backlash from the media and local farmers. The media laughed at them for the absurdity of it all and dubbed it the Great Emu War to make light of the situation. And it gave readers a moment of levity during the otherwise grim Great Depression. So the general population apparently were, they thought it was silly to send any troops after the birds, but the farmers thought that the government didn't send enough. They only sent three uh, to solve a problem spanning an Australian state that's twice the size of Alaska. The hunters tried to give up several times because they knew how pointless it was, but each time they were pushed back into hunting emus. Eventually they gave up on December 9th, 1932, and everyone laughed at the three men for failing to do the impossible. It's actually quite a sad story, really. So then, how did they end up dealing with the problem of the emus? Well, the government ended up placing bounties on the emus and let the farmers handle it. It says here the farmers would collect a bounty on over 57,000 emus and the farms turned profitable again. It should also be noted that some farmers were smart enough to breed emus and collect a bounty on the birds they'd raised, but that was bound to happen. See, that's, uh, that's just ingenuity, my friends. That's, that's capitalism. Get some baby emus, raise them up, go collect your bounty. Granted, you've got to kill them. Don't name them. Don't become friendly with them. So all in all, the Aussies would eventually prevail over the emus. And it's my understanding that emus in Australia are now protected outside of the hunting season. So there is a particular hunting season on that. If you know, of course, if you're an Australian listening to this, you may know more about that than I do. But there you go, the great emu war of Australia where they lost to some flightless birds. Unfortunately, not as embarrassing for the Aussies as it's made out to be. So you did all right, Australia. You solved the problem and you had a bit of a laugh along the way. It's my kind of my kind of style. Don't say I never say anything nice about Aussies. And with that being said, I will leave it here for today. This has been another brilliant, hilarious, informative episode of The Arriving Somewhere with Matt J. Podcast commentary, comedy and conversation. Talk to you fine people in the next one.